you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Right now on Fast, an earnings parade lined up for you. From PayPal and SoFi to Starbucks and Robinhood, we've got our eyes on a slew of after-hours movers, how you should be trading these names. Plus, credit card balances seeing their biggest jump in 20 years. Why one top economist says this is a sign of resilience in the consumer, what that means for the market. And later, Uber revs up, shares seeing their best day since March 2020, erasing nearly three months of losses. But the company's comments say about the strength of the consumer in the broader economy. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money, live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Courtney Garcia, and Jeff Mills. We're going to get to those after-hours moves in PayPal and AMD in just a moment, but we start off with the latest developments stemming from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's highly controversial visit to Taiwan. We're seeing the first response from China with one battery maker putting plans for a multi-billion dollar North American plant on pause. Let's get to Phil LeBeau for the details here. Phil. Melissa, the battery maker is CATL, the largest battery cell supplier in the world. And there is a report this afternoon out of China that the company, which is uh, in the process of looking at a possible location for a $5 billion EV battery cell plant, either in the U.S. or in Mexico, uh, that they're putting that announcement on hold. At least that's the report from Reuters out of China. Keep in mind the importance here is that that plant would supply Tesla and Ford here in the U.S. As you take a look at shares of Ford, keep in mind that the CATL battery plant, once it's online, would supply lithium phosphate batteries to uh, Ford. Those are the lower cost batteries starting next year for the Mach-E as well as the F-150 Lightning. Now, this is an announcement that's on hold. It doesn't mean that they're scrapping the plant altogether, and that's why I don't think we're seeing a huge reaction on shares of Ford. As for Tesla, remember, CATL already supplies battery cells for Teslas that are manufactured in China. They have a long-standing relationship, uh, CATL does, with Tesla in China. And finally, as you take a look at shares of CATL, keep in mind that this is an announcement that reportedly has been put on hold. The company, according to the reports out of China, would likely still make an announcement maybe next month, maybe in October. But clearly, this announcement coming today that they are putting a site selection on hold is clearly in response to Nancy Pelosi being in Taiwan. Melissa? It is interesting timing, Phil. Thank you. Phil LeBeau. Markets broadly took a leg lower as these headlines were crossing with the S&P giving up gains, ending the day down two and a third, two thirds of a percent. Um, a heavy dose of hawkish Fed speak didn't help either in terms of the action today. So what do you make, it of, all, make of it all, Tim? I think the Fed speak was more important. And, and I, I don't want to underestimate the importance of China-U.S. relations and where those tensions could go. Uh, and where we don't want them to go. But when I think about what's most important for the market here, it's what has had the most impact on the market to this point, which has been Fed speak, Powell last week, um, something along the lines of that, you know, I'm closer to neutral or I'm at neutral, which I don't believe. And I'd certainly be disappointed if they felt they were at neutral. Um, but again, we have Mester, we have other folks out there who are voting members of the FOMC reminding everybody, hey, look, um, we were at 390 on Fed funds as we got into uh, next year at the peak in June after the hawkish June meeting. We're down to three. 20. Um, I'm not sure that's where we belong. Equities love that. Look at the semis, which were up again today before.
before closing a bit lower. But I mean, you have a dynamic here where you've had a 27 percent move in the parts of the market that are most sensitive to lower interest rates. And, and so, um, again, the, the, the Pelosi visit to China is geopolitical complexity of a larger na- nature than I think the market was really paying attention to today. It doesn't mean uh, companies that want to secure EV supplies. And we heard that from GM and Ford, um, GM going out of their way to say they've actually secured out the next couple of years. But today is all about the Fed. Right. We were just talking yesterday about how we were worried that the markets were already pricing in a pivot. And then we got this. They trotted out the Fed speaker saying, you know what, don't don't price in a pivot yet. It's way too early. We've got a lot of work to be done. Right. I thought uh, exactly right. And I agree with Tim completely. At the time, we sort of all thought, wow, that, you know, was it hawkish, was it dovish? You hear whatever you wanted to hear. I think we all agreed that it sounded very hawkish. And I think that they then sent out the troops and the troops delivered the message that they wanted the market to understand. We're nowhere near done. Inflation is still way, way, way too high. We can't even begin to think about slowing down or pivoting or whatever you want to call it. And if a recession is the byproduct of that, so be it. We've got to live with it. So I think that was a lot of what weighed on the markets. But also it was just, you know, a little sigh after a gigantic, gigantic run. So we just right. went back to where we were, I don't know, Friday afternoon, maybe. So <laughs> to put it into perspective. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we mentioned that we mentioned what's going on in China, because at the margin, at the very least, this is yet another reason to be cautious here. It's certainly not a reason to be constructive, Courtney, on top of the uncertainty we have regarding what the Fed is going to do or, or, or not do. Yeah, yeah, and I think it does just add to some geopolitical uncertainty here, and especially it's going to affect things like your semiconductors, right? Because that's a lot of your semiconductors actually coming out of Taiwan. So I think that could be something that is going to be overweighing a little bit and might actually weigh on your semiconductors on top of any demand problems that they might be having right now. Um, I think it's really too early to trade on anything like that. It's really not directly affecting the markets, at least at this point, but it is something to keep our eye on, if nothing else. Yeah, Jeff, what do you think? Well, listen, I I think the added risk is problematic in the sense that there's this narrative developing that the market sold off a lot. Things are cheap, but things are getting less cheap. You know, I know we've talked talking about this economic slowdown for some time, the need for EPS expectations to come down. They have fallen. So look out to 2023 price to earnings ratio. It was about 14 times. So kind of cheap now 17 times as expectations start to come down. So I think that's interesting as EPS comes down, that sort of strain on valuation increases. So any additional risk that the market has to deal with, whether it's geopolitical uncertainty or otherwise, it becomes more problematic as valuations rise and valuations are not rising for necessarily a good reason. So I think that that's uh, that's maybe the most important thing to pay attention to right now relative to what's going on with Pelosi and Taiwan. I mean, listen, I, I think that Regardless, China and the U.S. was on a collision course. Uh, I think you'll have a bunch of saber rattling right now, but make no mistake, Taiwan is basically the most important country on Earth right now. And how this fight is going to play out over the long term is very hard to predict. I think if you're trying to play the long game, it probably means more U.S. company onshorings, localized supply chains. I've talked about applied materials in terms of semiconductor equipment and more factories needing to be built. So those are all things to consider. But I I think the first point about earnings expectations coming down, the stress on valuations, that's the key. All right, let's get to PayPal now. Uh, Shares are jumping after the company reported better than expected results in the top and the bottom lines. Also announced a change in the C-suite. Kate Rooney's got the details. Kate. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, PayPal with that beat on the top and bottom line. A lot of news out of this second quarter release. First, a a new chief financial officer for PayPal, payments giant hiring Blake Jorgensen. He had been the CFO 
over at Electronic Arts. He was also at Levi's and Yahoo before that. PayPal's chief product officer, meanwhile, is retiring at the end of the year, also announcing a $15 billion share buyback authorized by the board. And then that Elliott News, PayPal speaking out about that for the first time. It is officially a $2 billion investment, also saying that it's entering into an information sharing agreement with Elliott. And there's a quote in the PayPal release from Jesse Cohen, who's a managing partner over at Elliott. Cohen saying, quote, as one of PayPal's largest investors with about a $2 billion investment, Elliott strongly believes in the value proposition of PayPal, he says PayPal has an unmatched and industry-leading footprint across its payment business and a right to win over the near and long term. But a lot of news out of PayPal today, aside from just that beat on earnings. Stock up more than 10% after hours. Back to you. Wow, Kate. Um, by the way, Kate, you also just spoke with the Robinhood CEO. An early earnings release plus layoffs announced. Yes, both were a surprise. This company is supposed to report earnings tomorrow after the bell came out with news that they're cutting about 23 percent of jobs over at Robinhood. That comes after a 9 percent reduction back in April. And Vlad Tenev saying in a call with reporters just now that this is them continuing to right size and exercise some of that cost discipline. He said the product roadmap will still stay aggressive and fewer employees will result in some of those lower costs. He talked about stock based compensation falling by as much as 7% in the third quarter. That has been one of the areas where they've spent a lot. And he really said the reality is that they overhired. They overdid it uh, when they went public and when they were trying to keep up with some of the trading frenzy that's gone on and not only individual stocks, but also crypto. Also talked about restructuring and something called a series of, of general managers. They called them mini CEOs and said that should streamline decision making. So it seems like they're sort of changing the structure. And then a, a key a uh, member of the C-suite also stepping down. Aparna Shetta Pragada was really one of their main spokespeople. She was the chief product officer and was a big hire from Google. She's stepping down as well. So a lot of news out of Robinhood, more cost cutting, stock down uh, more than 1%, almost 2% here after hours. Quite a ride. I mean, it went public just, what, one year ago, Kate? Something like just that? Last summer, yeah. It's been yeah. a lot has changed since. They talked about the slowdown in trading, which really is their bread and butter for revenue. Yep. Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney, um, what do you make of PayPal, Karen? So PayPal, I thought, was interesting. I think the stock had been down a lot on the heels of Shopify mm -hmm. and this idea that e-commerce is really slowing, and would they sort of participate in that slowing? So this was a good quarter in terms of defying those kind of expectations. The CFO um, needing a CFO and having that role filled is great. I don't have a strong feeling either way on uh, Blake Jorgensen, um, but that was important. Obviously, the Elliott thing is important. The buyback as well, that's that's a massive buyback, $14 billion. Yeah. I mean, at the close, I think they were only about a $100 billion company. So that's a really massive buyback. So there was a lot to, to like and to breathe a sigh of relief. And so that's enough. That's yeah. a big, it's a big pop. Almost a billion dollars in cost savings as well. So they're well, really making an effort here to, to sort of That's what's interesting, company. right? So we're, we're not focusing on the quarter over quarter growth of 9% or FX, you know, FX neutral was 9%, 13% with the FX. And again, another FX headwind um, operating margin of 11.2, of which is more or less in line. But the cost savings and the buybacks are, are things that, is this what you want from your PayPal? Well, I mean, getting back to where Elliot really, you know, where they, in that statement, they talked about the value proposition. And, and again, if you look at it on a trailing basis, and again, this is a company that at least uh, in the COVID dynamic, you can, it's, it's a, it's an important uh, 
at least yardstick to look on a trailing basis. 29 times, hardly expensive, relative to itself, very cheap. Um, buybacks remind you how cash flow generative this company is. And, and that at some point, they look, they are a global leader. They are out there. They are out there before so many other players. Uh, I knew about this company when I was investing in Latin America 15 years ago. So, I mean, just on some level, this is a story that I think is a very good story. Elliot, I mean, once again, boy, they, they really are uh, the story of earnings season, especially for folks investing in tech. Reminder that there are big hedge funds out there that are looking to make significant stakes, not small stakes, significant stakes. In I, I get really hung up on this notion of relative to it. So I understand the concept, but in this market environment where we have seen huge pops in stocks that may not have had any business being where they were at one point, what does that mean? Or do we just take a look at this versus the market multiple in terms of this market environment and the willingness to take on risk? Courtney, what do you think? Well, I think you have to do both, right? And mm-hmm. I do think when you look at PayPal, I mean, they are trading at maybe a little bit higher than the markets, but they are still so much lower than the overall uh, than their longer-term averages. But they've sold off so much more than the markets, right? They're down over a 50 cent, 50 percent since the beginning of the year. So I do think it is like a much lower bar that they have to reach, and clearly they're hitting that with some of these earnings that are coming out. All right, let's get to another earnings alert here on AMD. Shares are dropping despite a beat on the top and the bottom lines. Christina Parts got the details. Christina. Well, investors are hoping data center sales would help offset weakness in PC sales, but unfortunately that wasn't the case. AMD, the second biggest maker of PC processors, posted a slight revenue and earnings per share beat. But if you compare the earnings per share beat to other quarters, they've barely moved the needle. You can see on your screen the 1.9% versus uh, 24.2, et cetera. And so the company's full year weaker than expected outlook is also contributing to the stock drop that we're seeing down 5%, which shows that AMD just isn't insulated from the slowing PC industry, its biggest market for its products. AMD's inventory levels also keep climbing compared to last year. The conference call is underway right now. And so there's two little points I want to add that AMD's mobile performance, they're breaking that down. It's uh, They had a record uh, sales and revenue for mobile performance. So when you compare it to Intel, Intel's rev- mobile performance was down 30% on revenue. And then gaming segment for AMD was also down. But data center sales, that was a stronger point coming in at $1.49 billion, an increase year over year compared to Intel. Intel saw a 16% drop in the same category. So it's really a battle between the two giants. Slowly, AMD is chipping away at Intel. Take a look on your screen right now. You can see a three-month chart of just the two companies. Intel down over 19%, AMD up a 5% just over the same period. And I'd like to point out, too, that AMD's CEO will be on Mad Money tomorrow. And I'm sure Lisa Sue can address a lot of these questions and commentary around the weakness. Melissa? All right, Christina, thank you. Um, Christina Partsinevelis. Jeff, so this sort of um, underscores the notion that AMD is taking market share from Intel, particularly in the all-important data center segment. Yeah, 100%. I think for long-term investors, that that's really the key. And I think it's, it's even more interesting for Intel. You know, this this report was going to be, you know, is the Intel miss a competitive advantage issue or is it a macro issue? I think you can see here it's a competitive advantage issue. AMD continues to take share. So that is incredibly important. But I, I also think it's interesting, and we need to pay attention to this, not just for AMD, but for other stocks heading into earnings. You know, these are stocks that are still in downtrends, but it also rallied 30% heading into earnings. So any sort of weakness, any sort of guide down. You know, these stocks can be sold and they can be sold hard. So, um, you know, I know everybody's feeling comfortable after the rally we've seen, but just pay attention to that. I think sort of the action here is is telling and might be indicative of, of other price action we see in the future here. Yeah, and I do think it's interesting, too. We're going to want to see what's happening with some of your PC demand, because clearly with all of our semiconductors, that has been the, the largest issue right near, right now is the deterioration in demand. 
And I think we're going to look at, too, there has been the bill that's coming out that's going to boost semiconductors that may not help AMD as much because they do a lot of outsourcing there. So I don't know if that's going to be a huge beneficiary for them, but seeing them holding up better than Intel, I think it's going to help. Stock was up 40% into the numbers. Let's yeah. not forget it. It was a massive, massive rally. And if you look at the chart on this, when, when it actually, you know, it's now back down around that level where if you drew a downtrend line, it had actually broken through around 95. So you can see we're really right at that level. I, I just see, go back to their analyst day recently. You know, we talk about the PC impact. In a different marketplace for semis, we were focused on where they were showcasing kind of their high growth chips, their CPU, their GPU chips, um, and some of those roadmaps that were really sexy. And this is where the company was going. And I think in, in a tape like this, we're not really focused on that. But I would not underestimate, again, the impact of a stock that rose this significantly going into the numbers. All right. Coming up, we've got more earnings coming your way. Shares of Starbucks and SoFi on the move after reporting. We'll bring you the details next. Plus, job openings dropping, credit card balances surging. The impact all this will have as recession fears linger. we got the details when Fast Money returns. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Starbucks. Shares higher after the company reported a beat on the top and the bottom lines. Let's get to Kate Rogers with the details. Kate. Yeah, Melissa, you just said it, that stock on the rise. Thanks to that top and bottom line beat for the third quarter, EPS beat driven by its U.S. performance and demand globally outside of China. For comps, a 3% global increase, 9% gain here in the U.S., 18% fall internationally. And China, the big story here, comps falling 44% in the quarter. There were ongoing mobility restrictions due to COVID for about two-thirds of the quarter, with some episodic closures continuing, although the company says customers are starting to return to their routines in some sense, but there are short-term disruptions that remain. Guidance does remain suspended for the remainder of the year. It was suspended last quarter due to China and that uncertainty. Interim CEO Howard Schultz said in the release, quote, we have a clear line of sight on what we need to do to reinvent the company, elevate our partner and customer experiences, and drive accelerated, profitable growth all around the world. 
The Q3 results we announced today demonstrate the early progress we've made in just four short months. Melissa, we should also note on the call, Howard Schultz saying they're not seeing any meaningful reduction right now in consumer spending. He's touting the brand's pricing power, and he also says they're not really seeing consumers trade down just yet. That's something that we did hear from McDonald's and Chipotle over the last week about lower-income consumers in particular starting to pull back. It doesn't look like that's happening just yet for Starbucks. Back over and they to you. Have had, they have had price increases recently. Yeah, and that's something that all of these companies are testing, yeah. right? Like how much they can increase, when consumers will start to pull back. But analysts have singled out Starbucks because it does tend to cater to a higher income demographic that may be less price sensitive. So it looks like that pricing power remains for this brand for now. Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers, I will go to Tim Seymour, who is both an investor in the stock and a customer of the stores. And, and, and have been very loyal and defending Starbucks for years, still own the stock and still go to the store. But I, I do find that the price points at some point for someone like me who, you know, maybe I can afford it. Maybe I shouldn't care so much. I always paid more for a cup of coffee 22 years ago when I went in there the first time and defended that. But at some point, uh, it's offensive. I, I actually think it's offensive. And I think their ability to get some of these price increases through is something that at some point they will not be able to do. I think ultimately the great news for this company is that 53% of their sales are coming through the loyalty. And this is a company that's now got, I don't know, 27 million uh, in terms of loyalty customers and that this is where their sales are coming from. Uh, the numbers I'm seeing in terms of this quarter, Karen points out as we talked about this on the break, it is summertime, but 75% of their sales are coming from cold beverages mm -hmm. um, with a lot of ice maybe in them, so better margins. But anyway, I, I just think... Uh, these numbers were better than the street expected. There was not a high expectation internationally. I, I saw down 29% expected, and the U.S. was 8.8. They beat on both sides. Um, I think it's a relief. Yeah. Karen, what do you think? Well, I'm sort of lukewarm on it. I think you and I were on the other side of a traded or faded. I was a faded. You were a traded. So it seems like you were right on the margin, though. But I agree with what Tim is saying, and that was part of the reason that I don't love it. Get is offended. That I think they Get offended. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm offended. I, you know, I feel like, and I, you know, I actually have, you know, downloaded on my phone. I have the app. I haven't used it in a while because I do find it offensive. Right. And so, um, and it just seems to me that the, the consumer is tapped out. When we hear about them, you know, inflation for gas and for uh, food and all, whatever else they're paying more for, it would just seem one more thing. Maybe there's just maybe they just trade down a little, whether maybe it's they the drink, the size, or right. Dunkin' or, or I don't home know about or that. whatever. Come on. Come but um, and the valuation, <laughs> is, it's not super crazy, but it's significantly higher than the market. Sure. Right. Or they do what I do. They brew it. Brew Ooh, have <laughs> novel. Um, we got an earnings alert here on Caesars. Contessa Brewer has been uh, listening on the conference call. Just got some breaking details. Contessa. Yeah. So, Melissa, uh, Tom Rigg is on the call, and he was talking about how impressed he is with their digital four-way, how, how impressed he is with how digital is doing in such a short period of time. And he talked about the surprise beat on digital EBITDA losses of $69 million versus the anticipated loss of $129 million. Here's the big headline that just came out of the call. He said in July, digital nearly broke even. He says they've done the big spend on customer acquisition, grabbed 15% or so market share, and then pulled back on their promotional and ad spending on the marketing. He predicts they're not going to get anywhere near the billion and a half of EBITDA losses that previously he had predicted and was prepared for in terms of launching digital. Remember, in sports betting and iGaming, acquiring customers has been a very expensive business. Now, he warned when football season starts back up again, those numbers are going to come back down. The ad spending is going to pick up, that it's going to be touch and go here for a while. Don't forget California ballots 
could send some sports betting towards the way of the commercial operators come November. If that happens, they're going to have to spend a lot more to open up that market. But for now, big news that mm. they nearly broke even in July. We're not hearing that from any of the competitors at this point. Wow. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer. Um, Jeff, how do you impute this onto a DraftKings or a Penn National? Yeah, I do think this is really important news. You know, DraftKings is a stock I've followed for a while, and the issue with it lately is that it continued to push out the profitability, and that's really not for this market, uh, as their spending continued to rise uh, for acquiring customers. So I think this is this is very interesting. It's something that the market's going to be looking toward. You know, they, they want profitability now across segments, so I do think it's meaningful. Um, and I, I think that you're, you're going to want a stock like this versus a stock like DraftKings uh, if these spending patterns continue. And the last thing I'll say, you know, just in terms of, you know, a stock like this more broadly, you know, we're worried about the consumer. I'm worried about the consumer. But when I look across uh, areas exposed to the consumer, I do think that this shift from sort of goods to services or experience spending is real. So I think that the spending that does take place, even if it slows down, might be pointed uh, in the services or experience direction. I think that could help companies like this. All right. We've got a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Credit consequences. Credit card balances making their highest jump in 20 years. So what's the say about the real state of the consumer? We break it down next. Plus, a five-star day for Uber. Shares speeding higher on a revenue beat. So should you get in on the rideshare surge? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on SoFi. Shares are surging 7% after its quarterly report card. Kate Rooney is back with the details. Kate. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, SoFi with better than expected numbers and some upbeat guidance. Suggested net revenue was up 50% year over year. It also saw record member growth and upped full year EPS and revenue guidance. I caught up with SoFi CEO Anthony Noto about the quarter and the macro environment. He says, yes, we are absolutely in a technical recession We expect to be in a pretty limited growth environment for the foreseeable future. But he also talked about diversifying revenue for SoFi. He says, quote, we continue to to take share from existing banks, leverage the breadth of our products to drive consistent growth, and talked about very few companies having a lending business, tech platform, all of those financial services products like checking, savings, credit card, 
investing and brokerage as well as insurance. But he says there is without a doubt a challenging macro environment right now. Noto also mentioned a shift away from that student loan business. It used to bring in about $2 billion in originations. Right now, it's only operating at at roughly 25% capacity after the student loan moratorium. No expectation, he says, for that to rebound until 2023. He also says they haven't seen a jump in delinquencies for SoFi. It's around 2019 levels right now in terms of uh, delinquencies and net charge-offs. He says SoFi, though, tends to skew towards higher credit quality But uh, the stock up more than 7% year after hours. Melissa, back to you. All right, Kate. Thanks, Kate Rooney. Um, The stock was down 60% uh, year to date going into these earnings. 80% in total. Yeah. From its so high. you very much caught it up in the uh, fintech mm-hmm. revaluation. So the stock was down a lot. I think one of the things making the stock pop today, besides the earnings outlook for the second half being decent, the adjusted EBITDA being decent. I understand home mortgage, home loans are down. That makes sense. And student loans being down. It's, I think, partially the almost 20% short interest. So if this wasn't a quarter that was going to be really bad, then I think the story of the short might be over now. Yeah, I think it's a combination of also just if you look at where the stock has come from and, and you now look at on valuation in a world where we look at these valuations differently and we understand some of the credit dynamics, but where there's actually growth, they just got into about a billion and a half on adjusted net revenue by the end of the year. So that's four times sales. That, that's hardly expensive in the context of, again, where they're coming from, which I know is, is something you're pushing back on tonight, Melissa. We're not allowed to do that anymore, so. <laughs> I'm just raising no, it's, question. Yeah, it's a good that's question. Why, you know, why should you we have ever been there? Exactly. We shouldn't have. Anyway, uh, let's move on here. Credit card debt seeing its biggest jump in more than two decades. Balances surging 13% in the second quarter's higher prices outweigh wage growth, plus the latest monthly jolts report showing job openings dropped to the lowest level since last September. For more on all this, let's bring in Mark Zandi, chief economist at Moody's Analytics. Mark, um, it seems like it would be bad news on the surface, but you actually say this is good news for the consumer. Well, I took a lot of solace in it, Melissa. I mean, bank card debt is up, yeah, but it's still well below what it was Uh, pre-pandemic. Consumers are paying back uh, their debt at a very high rate. And uh, bottom line, delinquency rates are very low. I mean, I we get data on all the credit files in the country from uh, credit bureau Equifax every month, and I've got data through July. And the July delinquency rate is 2.35%. You go back pre-pandemic, which was a pretty good time, it was well over 3%. So, you know, I don't really see anything in there to be concerned about. You know, looking across all of household debt, the one thing that gives me a little bit of pause is you see a big increase in consumer finance borrowing, and these are lower quality borrowers uh, and, uh, you know, fintech companies, that kind of thing. And but in the grand scheme of things, it's not a lot of dollars. So it's not a big macro event. It's, you know, uh, it's a relatively minor. So, no, I, I don't really see anything in this data to be concerned about, at least from looking at it through the prism of what it means for the consumer and the economy. It's a, Courtney here. Just a quick question for you. Um, I, I think it's really great to see that delinquencies are low right now. And it's actually a lot of, I think you're saying, positive data, things we don't necessarily have to worry about. But I guess the question is, how much of that is backward looking here, right? If we are seeing inflation is starting to pinch the consumer, and half of companies right now are saying that they're starting to see people trading down for their items. And now we're starting to see they're putting more on credit cards. How much of that do you think is is backwards looking versus what we need to, we need to look at in the future, if that makes sense? Well, I don't know. I mean, in the future, it looks like inflation is going lower, right? I mean, gas prices are way in. We were at $5 a gallon, record high back in mid-June. We're now at $4.30 and falling. It feels like food prices have peaked. Uh, you look at ag, you know, ag commodity prices are coming in. 
so inflation is very high, don't get me wrong, and it's very painful and it's cutting into consumer purchasing power. But they're holding up pretty well, and, and I think uh, inflation is starting to recede. And here's the other thing. They've got a boatload of excess saving. You know, During the pandemic, particularly high-income households, they sheltered in place. They saved a lot more than they typically would. And low-income households got a lot of government support, and so they have that cash cushion. And you know, I think that cushion is tidying them over. They're starting to burn through it, and you're starting to see you know, some lower-income households in particular starting to struggle with this. But uh, broadly speaking, I think the consumer is holding in pretty well. Mark, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. So let me ask you, these higher balances with this, low, with this very good credit quality, what do you think this means for banks who have it's such a high margin item for them? Well, it sounds good to me, right? I mean, I think they're only worried. A lot of credit card uh, revolving. The card people are using their cards. Uh, delinquency rates are low. That all feels pretty good. I think the thing that makes them uncomfortable is the high repayment rate. People, they're revolving the card, right? They're using the card to buy stuff. And by the way, that's the reason why card balances are up a lot, because people are buying lots of stuff that use cards. Like if you go out and travel, you got an airplane ticket or a hotel room and everyone's out doing that, they're going to use their card. Uh, but they're not, they're not, uh, they're not holding on to it. They're not, uh, they're not, uh, it's not debt. Uh, so they're not collecting interest payments on it. So, you know, I think the, if looking at it from the prism of a bank, they'd like to see borrowers actually use that card as a debt vehicle. And so far, they're not doing that. Isn't, isn't seeing the consumer so resilient, Mark, though, sort of bad news in that it, it tells you that the Fed has a lot more wood to chop in terms of slowing demand down in the economy to slow things down enough to bring inflation down to, to the levels that they want to see. Well, Melissa, you're looking for bad news. I'm not going to give it to you. I'm now. not. I'm, <laughs> not. I'm, just, I'm just raising the other side of it. I mean, <laughs> no, no, that's fair. That's fair. But look, there's a lot of other, the economy's got other problems. I mean, the housing market is definitely taking it on the chin. We got, uh, you know, very significant drag from the trade deficit and balance. So growth is definitely slowing and, and growth will continue to slow. And I'm not saying the consumer is out spending with abandon. You know, they're doing just their part, which mm -hmm. is critical to keeping the make sure that the economy doesn't go into recession. So in my mind, the American consumer is the firewall between uh, an economy that avoids recession and one that goes in the down, into a downturn. The firewall is, you know, is under pressure because of the high inflation, but it feels like it's holding firm and the fire is now starting to recede. And if that continues to be the case, you know, we got a fighting chance to make our way through uh, without going into recession. All right. Mark Sandy, thank you. Always good to speak sure. with you. Thank you. Jeff Mills, this is the notion of the soft landing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But Mel, I think you make a really good point about the Fed, right? And you had this perceived pivot, but then all of a sudden, basically right after the press conference, you saw long-term inflation expectations jump by a pretty significant amount. So basically what the market is saying, it's way too early for the Fed to pivot. We talked about that. And I do think that that's generally problematic. And I think the reality is, and Courtney mentioned this, we have to look forward relative to the consumer. You know, we always talk about monetary policy impacting the economy with long and variable lead time. So I think, you know, we're only just seeing the effect of higher interest rates on the consumer. And you listen to companies, they're saying the consumer's okay, but I think if you read through some of the data, um, you start to see the early signs of it. And that's what I'm looking at. You know, AT&T talking about later payments from their customers. You know, mm -hmm. Visa saying there's no weakness, but you know, that could be lower quantities at higher prices, similar for P&G. So you know, you, if you read through some of the commentary, I think it's the early signs of the consumer starting to slow down. And that's what worries me the most. Input costs may be coming down, but prices, these price increases that the consumer are feeling, they're sticky. Rents are sticky. That's going to be some time, Tim, before the consumer feels relief 
on that front. I agree. And I think the housing market is also another place where the Fed needs to target. They, they actually want there to be more pain in the housing market. I, I just go back to what we, we had a conversation yesterday about regional banks. I, you know, their lending and their ability to actually make profits from this higher interest rate environment is, I think, extraordinary. What Market pointed out in some of his notes is that he's actually seeing some tightening in lending standards. Yep. That, to me, is disappointing after years of, of headwinds here that actually banks are starting to lend again. Let's, let's see how that goes. Coming up, rideshare surge. Uber jumping 19% today on the back of its earnings. We'll tell you what had investors speeding into this one next. Much more Fast Money right after this. Shares of Uber topping the tape today surging almost 19% after the rideshare company reported its first cash flow positive quarter ever. Listen to what CEO Dara Khazar Shahi said about those results earlier today on Squawk on the Street. Of course, show me the money, free cash flow for the first time ever, $382 million in free cash flow. So it was a really, really strong quarter. But what's important to me is it was a strong quarter, both top line and bottom line. Still after reporting a net loss of $2.6 billion in the quarter, is Uber stock ready to drive higher, Tim? I think it is. I think upgrades are coming. And, and this is their, only their second quarter of free cash flow in their history. Um, and there's still a lot of work to do. But again, if you if you look at the approving margin profile of this company, even in a world where you had moderation in the delivery business and, and but in, in their mobility, these are pretty strong numbers, even though uh, I think also very well flagged. Um, I think there was some expectations that and, and some some negative headwinds on sentiment coming in. But um, I know I think hard to chase this one on this kind of a move. But to me, Uber is, is actually in a place where this stock looks really attractive to me. Yeah. And Lyft, by the way, is up 16 and a quarter percent on the back yes. of this as well. So, mm-hmm. right. I like Lyft. You know, it's just a pure play. Some mm-hmm. of the other parts of Uber that are more noisy, delivery and whatnot. Um, but it's a huge milestone yeah. in this era. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think what I like to see is when I look at some of the bigger like macro themes here, they've clearly benefited from the idea that people are going more from goods to services. That's continuing. People are traveling. They're using their Ubers. But also when it came to Uber Eats, they recognize that they're not seeing people trading down. They're really seeing their consumer continuing to be strong. And so they're another one of these that's showing kind of like we were just talking about the, before the break. The consumer is still on good footing here, which is great that we're on good footing. Maybe not good news for what the Fed's going to do next time, but I, I'd rather hear the positive news personally. All right, coming up, we're going to read on what's on top of mind for retail investors, their fears and worries as markets continue to be volatile this year. More on that straight ahead, plus shares of DraftKings jumping into the green today, and that had options traders piling in how they are playing that name next when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out DraftKings surging higher today. The sports betting company reporting earnings before the bell Friday. One options trader is putting his chips on some more big gains for this name ahead. Mike Coe has the action. Mike. Yep, DraftKings saw double its average daily options volume today. Calls outpacing puts by almost three to one. Right now, the options market implying a move of about 10% by the end of the week. That's in line with how much the stock has moved after its previous eight reported quarters. And the largest trade we saw was a purchase of the weekly 16 and a half calls. Somebody bought 3,300 of those, paying about 45 cents, risking a little under 3% of the current stock price on a bet that the stock could finish the week higher. Makes sense to use options on this one. It has been highly volatile, up over 35% in less than the last three weeks. 
less than three weeks. Tim, we were just talking about that, this stock being up, what, 40-something yeah, percent? I see it at, <laughs> I see, yeah, I see up 48 percent off of those lows. I see yeah. also 107 million shares traded today, which is you know about eight times what it's been doing over the last three months. Um, you make the most money when things uh, go from just terrible to bad. But those numbers uh, and the announcement by Caesars today in terms of their digital and their online sports betting, that actually it's become cash flow break even, which is extraordinary because talk about a competitive and, and an overly aggressive predatory environment from you know, competitor to competitor out there. I mean, every other commercial on TV was a sports betting ad. It still yeah. kind of feels like it. But anyway, that's really great news for DraftKings as well. Yep. Uh, the stock is up one and a half percent after hours right now. Thank you, Mike Coe. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time coming up. Anxious investing, we're getting a pulse check on the retail investor and what is topping their market worries. The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's been a rocky first half of the trading year for markets, but the recent rally off the mid-June lows may be easing investors' anxiety. Investopedia is out with its latest sentiment survey tracking the pulse of retail investors. Editor-in-Chief Caleb Silver joins us now with an exclusive look at the results. Caleb, welcome back. Um, so consumers are worried. They're anxious. Yeah, they're very anxious. They're still cautious, but they're warming up a little. Reminds me of the little kid walking to the end of the diving board looking, saying, is it time <laughs> to jump in? Can I do it? Can I do it? Not totally going in. Uh-huh. A little less worried than the last round of surveys back in June, but still highly elevated when we look at the last couple of years. So they're not buying the dip necessarily. They're sort of positioning for it. What's their top concern at this point? Well, their top concern is inflation, just yeah. like everybody else is concerned. They're also concerned about geopolitical uncertainty. They're concerned about a recession. They're also concerned about these rising interest rates. It's that whole gumbo of uncertainty, though things are starting to clear up a little bit. And, you know, uncertainty is like kryptonite for investors, especially retail investors. When they can't see, they stay on the sidelines. So how good of an indicator or contraindicator is this data generally? Pretty good indicator because these are people who are self-directed investors. They put their own money to work. Some use financial advisors, but when they come in, they're usually coming in with the rest of the wave right behind the institutions. So a pretty good indicator, but it just shows that maybe the last couple of weeks they felt a little bit better about things. We we clipped this survey this morning, so this is fresh off the uh, off the press, and they're still a little cautious, even though we've had a nice little rally. Yeah, but you can really see the risk-off sentiment among these retail investors. They're buying a lot less cryptocurrency. Not too many NFTs anymore. Not too many single stocks even, which was surprising to me. Yeah, the no-fly zone is crypto. Mm-hmm. A lot of people just staying out of it. And a lot of folks were in there. About a third of our readers were in it. Now about 27%. Stocks outside the U.S., no-fly zone for them. Individual company stocks, except for the mega caps, which are their home favorites. They love the big cap stocks. They think of those as probably value stocks. And NFTs and options off the table completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost seems like that the mega cap tech are their money markets. It's almost like their place to, to park capital. But my question is... How much powder do you think there is with the retail investor? I've been amazed uh, at the resiliency of the fund flows coming from the retail community. In fact, even through some of the worst of the times, we were actually still seeing the same fund flows that we were seeing from last year. But talk about dry powder. Talk about you know, a group that has taken the market to all-time highs. Um, are, they, are they behind us now still? Yeah, I think so. And the fact that they've sort of sat on the sidelines for the past several months means they want to get back in. These are active retail investors, long-term investors that want to participate. They're just looking to get back in when it feels a little bit safer. But they're not going to go back to those risky areas from 2021 Hmm. where a lot of money was made and a lot of money was lost. These are folks that like the tried and true stocks from Apple all the way down to Ford and J.P. Morgan. They like the big mega caps. So 2021, that was a peak in investor anxiety? 
So, I mean, investors are anxious, but it's still much, much lower than what we've seen re- even recently. Absolutely. The peak was 2020, spring, March, yeah. April of 2020. It has come way down from that. So they're not as anxious about market events. They're more concerned about the macro picture right now. But that is keeping them away from the stock market in general for these at least the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Do you get a sense of what investors are doing outside of stock? I mean, I know that your purview is the stocks in their portfolio, but in terms of housing and, and other sort of, how do they approach investing in general? Do they think it's a time to just be hands off overall? Well, it's funny because when the market cools off, they start looking into things like how do they get a little bit more equity out of their homes uh-huh. or when's the best time to put money to work in real estate? These are active investors looking for opportunity wherever it opens, uh, wherever they see the open door. Right now, they don't see a lot of open doors, but they're inching a little bit closer again to the end of that diving board. I think we get a little bit more confidence in the market. They'll come back in. All right, Caleb, it's always good to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Caleb Silver, editor-in-chief of Investopedia. Hmm. I don't know what the read-through is to, I mean, we were just talking about Robinhood and, and some of these other sort of retail brokerage names. Well, one of the things that I've noticed with some of my clients in mm-hmm. the wealth management world is, is that there is a little bit of a FOMO here. Um, folks that actually had a little bit of powder, and, and, and again, I'm looking at Caleb's notes here, and, you know, uh, the 30% predict, are predicting a 10% drop still in the next three months. Um, so sentiment really bad, but a lot of folks who actually we're well, you know, maybe they're well advised, maybe, maybe, but they have some cash and some powder and really feel like they might be missing one of those moments because let's face it, those COVID lows were, you know, people use the term generational, generational buying opportunity, right. I think too much. Um, but that was an opportunity that truly you were able to buy stocks, uh, even not even at those lows. So that's what I see from the retail investor. And we said that there wasn't a buy the dip mentality. I'm seeing some of that again. Yeah. What are you seeing, Courtney? You know, actually, I have to agree with that. And I've seen some of that with my own clients as well. But I, I actually see this as good news, right? People, when they're the most nervous, you're usually that's when you're going to get your market bottom. By the time that they wait for that clarity that they're hoping to find, at that point, the markets have already priced that in and it's gone up. So I think this is something you want to take as an investor. Look at this as an opportunity because people are nervous. That's probably about the time you want to start getting in. Jeff? Yeah, I, I just don't think they're nervous enough, right? I mean, price affects mood. It's it's amazing how that always happens, right? And I don't think sentiment is kind of the coil it was heading into earnings season. I, I mentioned bull bears. You've seen bulls outnumber bears for the first time since April. You're seeing it in some of this data. So I think sort of the, the pressure and that anxiety easing isn't necessarily a good thing going forward. And I think it serves to take some of the momentum out of the rally that we're seeing right now. The other thing that I thought was sort of interesting is that, you know, people are buying less risky stuff. Again, not surprising. I think that in particular continues. Uh, I keep talking about quality growth, those types of companies. I, I think you probably continue to see that going forward. All right. Up next, final trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got uh, a lot of movers in the after hours on earnings match. We were just talking about this with Karen. It's down 22 percent right now after the dating operate, app operator missed revenues and estimates and issued weak guidance as well. Airbnb down almost 9%. Record bookings here. The company also announced a $2 billion stock buyback. Uh, Advanced Micro continues down about 5% after issuing weaker full-year guidance. On on the upside, PayPal is still holding on to a 12% gain. The fintech posting better than expected top and bottom lines. They announced a new CFO. The company also disclosing Elliott Management has a $2 billion stake in it. And SoFi is soaring uh, up 7% after raising guidance for the full year. All right, time for the final trade. Now let's go around the horn. Jeff Mills. I think I'm on the opposite side of Karen on this one, but I'd be a seller of banks here. Look at the KBW Bank ETF. To me, it looks like it's stalling at that 50-day. I think the economy continues to weigh on long-term rates, so I think the rally that we've seen in banks fades from here. Courtney, 
I'm going to go to Starbucks. I think actually, despite uh, Tim not liking the price increases, they clearly are really a uh, loyal customer base who's uh, shown that they have pricing power. I think that might be worth a look. Tim. Happy birthday, Mom. Hope it's a great Aww. year. Yeah. Happy birthday? Yeah. And Disney, uh, you know, they report next week, and this reopening trade has been one of the themes of the week. Very strong, and I think we've priced in the worst in the media. Yes, happy birthday, Wendy Feinerman, my sister. Also, Aww. I am bearish. I'm always long, always long, but i got to buy some S&P puts. I don't think there's a pivot at all. All right. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.